Hello and welcome back to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo, and this week we are finally getting back around to watching Season 2 of Avatar The Last Airbender. Earth. It, it's been a bit of a journey to get back to actually watching the second season of Avatar. One of the things that was holding me up initially was trying to figure out how to do this specific season, as it seemed like it doesn't break evenly into arcs kind of like the first season did the first season it kind of broke into arcs nice and easy but in this case it, it didn't it, it at least it started to uh when i was actually watching it. it it started breaking up into arcs but then it gets a little bit messy near the end but we'll get into that um as it comes down the line the reason it didn't come uh last week is because i just didn't have time to properly watch season two and so by the time that week's episode came up, I had to kind of rush in order to get uh, get an episode out. But anywho, this week, I've even while catching up on uh, the challenge, we have been able to get through season two. So let's talk about it. My history with it's very similar to my history with the first season. You know, I would catch episodes here and there. Though this season, I will say, does have probably my least favorite elements in it. I think it comes down to certain things, but we, we will, once again, get to it. Uh, so let, let's kind of see it, how it breaks down. So I was able to break it down into one, two, three, and then four and five. The arcs four and five kind of overlap uh, almost completely, <laughs> save for like two episodes on either end. So yeah, that's the kind of awkward thing about this season but the first arc is the Return to Omashu arc, which, funnily enough, the third episode is just called uh, Return to Omashu. So that's nice. Uh, so I actually, real quick, want to also, before we continue on, uh, mention the fact that it, it kind of takes a couple of episodes and squishes them together. Now, I don't know if originally they aired together or not, but, you know... It's still something that I should probably bring up. Uh, I, I watched this on Netflix, and Netflix takes episode... Where is it? Episode 12 and 13, technically, and kind of squishes them together into the Secrets of the Fire Nation. Now, that might have aired as one big thing in the day, and it might be that way on the DVD specials... Or, not the DVD specials, the DVDs. Uh, but I can't remember. It's been a while since I actually watched it on, on my DVD slash Blu-rays. Um, and then the 18th slash, well, technically it would be the uh, 19th and 20th episode are squished together into now episode 18. It's the Guru and the Crossroads of Destiny. So these are put together into one thing as the season finale. So, you know, keep that in mind when when looking at it is that for some reason, as as the show goes on, each season tends to kind of compress the episodes a little bit more. <laughs> You know, the first season, it, it kind of shows it as is. Then the second season takes a couple episodes and compresses them. And then the third season does that even further, it would seem. But anyway, with, with that out of the way, we can now go ahead and start talking about the episode. So episode one is called The Avatar State, and rightly so. Uh, Aang, uh, with his past experiences of entering the Avatar State, has started to kind of grow an internal fear of using it because he knows that the way he is in it scares the people around him and in hindsight is scares him he doesn't like who he is when he's in the avatar state but 
he is pressured by an Earth Kingdom general uh, into trying to find a way to use the Avatar State in order to defeat the Fire Lord now, without finishing his training or anything, just go into the Avatar State and then just go. And the entire episode's just them trying to figure out how to uh, trigger the Avatar State, and they try a bunch of different, you know, things. It's only when Katara is in, like, life-threatening danger, when she's sucked into the ground by the general does it actually trigger the avatar state in which then the general learns yeah we should well he he doesn't really actually learn but you know he he sees that oh you know i can't really control it still doesn't necessarily learn that lesson but yeah then the second episode is them continuing their journey they come across these travelers on their way to omashu who are just kind of wandering they tell them of the cave of the two lovers and how it's a probably going to be their best way moving forward. Aang doesn't really want to do it because it's underground and he doesn't Appa doesn't like going underground. But when they realize oh they're they're probably better off going underground, they end up going. This is probably one of my favorite episodes. It's a little bit cheesy here and there, but it does help move along the relationship of Aang and Katara. This season, they actually kind of played down it uh, a lot of the time. The the relationship between Aang and Katara. Only bringing it up in bits and pieces here and there until it finally kind of culminates uh, near, the, near the end of the season uh, in thematic uh, resonance. The, the whole thing with them going under, they, the group ends up getting divided and Aang and Katara kind of try to learn how they're actually supposed to, because the Cave of the Two Lovers, you're supposed to, you know, it, it, the song and the, the legend says that it is their love that helps guide them through the cave. But in reality, it's kind of, it, it's not completely certain whether or not it's the love or the fact that these stones just glow in the dark. It, it's kind of left up to interpretation, but it is implied heavily that this is where Aang and Katara share their first kiss. And then they're guided out through following love. Although, almost immediately before that, they they kind of tried to set it up to where, like, you know, he, he completely bungles the entire idea, but then they almost immediately turn around and just do the idea anyway. It, it, it's a little bit silly there. Then the third episode in this arc, and the last episode, is Return to Omashu, in which they you know, crest a hill and come to find that Omashu has been taken over by the Fire Nation. Aang and the gang must infiltrate Omashu to find out what happened. They end up coming across a resistance group that's, you know, trying to fight against the Fire Nation, and they learn that King Bumi just kind of gave up. He surrendered. Now Aang's mission throughout the rest of the episode is to try to get to King Bumi and learn... What happened? Why? They, they end up accidents. When they tell the group to that they need to leave, they tell the resistance group, like, you know, live to find another day. Omashu, at this point, is a lost cause. You guys are outnumbered, so just leave. They help them escape by faking a plague through a series of unfortunate events, I guess, involving Momo, the now occupying governor kid ends up in their custody so they they accidentally kidnapped a baby and this is partially where the 
the new threat this season of Azula and her her two companions uh, is it's fully introduced. You know, the the baby is uh, one of her companions' brother. They they get chased down. Aang finds they they set up a trade for the baby. They trade the they're going to trade the baby for King Boomy, but then they come and it's a trap, obviously. And instead, uh, they end up accidentally saving Boomy. But after you know a, a chase, they Boomy tells Aang, "Hey, I, I surrendered because there's you know different moves that you can do. You can either attack or defend." Or you can do nothing. And I chose to do nothing. I chose to do this because it was the best option for my people and survival. I must stay here. And he, you know, retreats back. And he, he needs to wait for the right time and everything. And this is also where King Boomy, because the Aang was expecting Boomy to be the one to help teach him how to earthbend. But Boomy tells him that he needs to find someone who waits and listens. And thus we enter the Finding a Master arc. At the end of the, that episode, they do return the baby. And then leave. Uh, so we enter the Finding a Master arc, which is kind of mostly two disjointed episodes, kind of, that leads into them finding Toph. So there's the Lost in the Swamp episode, which is just called The Swamp. That they... Aang feels drawn into the swamp for some reason, and then they end up just getting knocked into the swamp by a roving tornado. They end up getting separated, and each have their own visions of people that they lost, except for Aang, who sees a vision of just a little girl with a pet flying pig. When they learn, you know, the actual mystery of the swamp, which is that the tree... This big central tree is the thing that's kind of connecting them. Or, can, you know, it, the entire swamp is just this one tree. That the swamp monster is just a swamp bender. And this is kind of where we're introduced to, what do I call it? I called it niche forms of bending. And this is where we're introduced to swamp bending. Where someone's able to actually, like, bend the, the vines and everything along with the water of the swamp. In order to, you know, move. But, yeah, so that, that's kind of where we're slightly introduced to Toph as like a concept but mostly it's a kind of eh-ish episode there I mean the the swamp benders are kind of interesting but overall they don't add a whole lot to to the to the plot then we go into uh, Avatar Day Avatar Day is they go to this Earth Kingdom town just trying to buy some stuff and the vendor tells them, oh, hopefully you guys are going to stick around for Avatar Day. You know, it, it's a local holiday. And they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. So they go to the actual town and they see that these there's this, a float of Avatar Kyoshi and Avatar Roku and then Avatar Aang. And they're like, ah, oh, cool. And then there's a guy running with a torch and then he just like jumps through the Kyoshi statue and burns it. And burns all three statues, and then Katara puts the statues out, and Aang's like, hey guys, what what the hell? What, what, what's up with this? And they're told that Aang's past life, Kyoshi, killed their ruler. So they now are very anti-Avatar. Uh, and so, 
they arrest Aang because, you know, they, they, they say Kyoshi murdered their leader. So they feel that Aang should be the one to pay the price. And that they would hold a, a justice. Katara and Sokka go on a little adventure to try to figure out what happened. Uh, the the one guy goes around and shows, hey, you know, this this is what happened, and this is where it happened, and, you know, this is why he must, you know, pay the price. Then they journey to Kyoshi Island and gain some knowledge there. Like, some of the evidence that he has is wrong and everything. And basically, the episode kind of ends up as nothing, really. <laughs> because in the end, uh, Kyoshi's spirit confesses to the crime he is dealt a punishment which is going to be boiled in oil but then at that moment the town is attacked by uh, a fire nation like death squad group in order to convince the town to you know give him community service and the community service being getting rid of the fire nation he, he just kind of is like well you guys were gonna boil me in oil and then like fine just get them out of our face and we'll call it even and then, boom, problem solved after he gets rid of the Fire Nation. So that's it. Then we enter the actual thing where they actually properly meet Toph. And that is the Blind Bandit. They go to this town. They are presented with an advertisement for a earthbending teacher. So Aang goes there to see if they could help. The answer is no. So instead, they end up going to an underground earthbending tournament. There... They're thinking that uh, the boulder might be able to help him. But as the tournament goes on, the last opponent is the blind bandit, who's Toph. Like, Aang sees her and is like, oh, she's she's the one that's going to be my teacher. Because she waits and she listens, just like Boomy said. So in order to try to, like, talk to her, when the announcer is like, hey, does anyone want to try to face the blind bandit? Aang's like, I'll do it. And he tries to talk to her, but she's like, dude, don't talk. We're fighting. And Aang ends up accidentally beating her. And Toph gets very mad at him and, like, just leaves. But then, through piecing together some clues, they figure out where Toph is and go, you know, hunt her down. They go to her home and find out that she's, you know, a rich kid, but she's been kept secret from the world for some reason, and she's part of this very prominent family. Her family thinks that she's very, you know, weak and feeble because she's blind and that she needs assistance at all times. But after the Aang and her get kidnapped, uh, it is brought to light that she is actually a really good earthbender. Her parents end up doubling down on trying to keep her locked away, but she ends up just running away anyway. And then they end up sending a bounty after, after her. That doesn't really come up, uh, say, for like once or twice uh, throughout the rest of the season until the very end of the season. But yeah, so that's that's the the Find a Master arc. Now this one, I had tr this next arc, I had trouble labeling because the episodes are very not really connected. Because the episodes are very not really connected. So we have the, what I'm going to consider the transitionary arc, where we're properly transitioning into the end game of this season i guess we have episode 7 zuko alone episode 8 the chase 
and episode 9, Bitter Work. So episode 7 is so Zuko alone. I Literally, my only note is Zuko episode. Because one of the other things notes I have is the Zuko B plot is more prominent in this uh, season. It follows Zuko and his uncle as they pretty much become refugees. They are confronted by Azula, you know, almost tricked. Then they escape. And they decide that they have to pretty much hide out in the Earth Kingdom in order to survive. Uh, ultimately deciding that they need to work their way to Ba Sing Se. In the Zuko episode, by this point he has decided that he needs to distance himself from his uncle uh, to try to try to find himself and actually like learn more about what's going on. In In this episode, Zuko comes across this small town that has a Earth Kingdom military presence where they're supposed to be either defending the town or out at a war, but instead they've become pretty much a, a mafia where they're extorting the town for money. Zuko, this is also where we get a lot of uh, the past and whatnot. Zuko ends up, not ratting out a boy who throws eggs at the soldiers. Um, and the boy ends up taking him to his house where Zuko gets a quick meal, helps out the family and everything. But when it's revealed that he is Fire Nation, they immediately turn on him. And, you know, Zuko, Zuko is sad. <laughs> That's pretty much... That's pretty much the end of that episode. Zuko is sad. But at the same time, he is kind of starting to come and have to face the fact that, you know, he's been so closed in on folk and focused on the Avatar that he hasn't been able to see just how bad the Fire Nation is. Um, then episode 8 is was it, The Chase. I My note is literally just group tension. Yeah, group tension rises. Uh, because they're being chased by a machine. So they are being chased by, like, a ground train. And the reason that they're being chased is because Appa is shedding, making it easy for them to track. And this this weird ground train thing uh, is being manned by Azula and her companions. They They just keep catching up. So every time that they try to like settle down to try to get some sleep or something, they end up being, you know, doggedly chased. Uh, and the tension rises because Toph, you know, being a new member of the group is having trouble kind of assimilating into like roles and whatnot of actually helping and everything. Yeah, so the, the tensions just keep rising until they finally learn kind of what what's what's going on and to better work together. Like Toph breaks off for a bit and talks to Uncle Iroh. Um, Aang breaks off to try and lead them away after they learned that, oh, it's, it's the fur. So we need to, we need to, you know, de help, help expedite the shedding process for, for Appa. And then we need to get going. But Aang decides to actually hang back instead of just letting them follow the trail and actually confront who's been chasing them. He ends up in a three-way fight between Azula, Zuko, and himself. 
where he's eventually able to well eventually all everyone comes together including you know Sokka, Katara, Toph, and Uncle Iroh and everyone to fight Azula but Azula ends up uh, hurting Uncle Iroh and then disappearing after everyone attacks her but yeah that, that's pretty much that episode um then it's on to bitter work in which Aang finally begins his training, and but he's having a hard time actually grasping earthbend, earthbending. And it's believed that because it is technically the opposite, or his opposite and whatnot, he's having trouble getting it. But eventually, he's able to start understanding Toph's teaching. I don't know if Toph ever actually took Katara's advice in t- to heart. Or if she just was like, oh yeah, no, I totally did that. And was just lying. I couldn't fully tell, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. It's It ends with Aang having a good understanding of like it. And it's like the only learning, earthbending thing that, um, that Aang does. <laughs> uh, otherwise, the rest of the time, they don't he doesn't really get any more lessons. He mostly, if he's going to get lessons, it's more water bending from Katara, which is kind of funny. But with that, the transition arc kind of comes to an end. Then we enter the final two overlapping arcs. So the, the final two overlapping arcs are the Appa Saga and Bossing Say. Now the first two episodes are pure Appa Saga, uh, in which they go to look for a library in the middle of the desert, led by an archaeology professor from Bossing Say, and they end up finding the library, and they're trying to find an edge on the Fire Nation. Uh, what they were mainly looking for was just updated maps of the Fire Nation, but Sokka took it an extra step further and decided to make it. Um, let's find a weakness. He ends up finding it, the Day of Black Sun, in which there is a uh, solar eclipse in which the Fire Nation loses all ability to bend. And from that point on, their goal is to then get to Bossing Say to tell the Earth King, Earth Kingdom King, that they need to properly launch an invasion during this time. Uh, then the second episode, that is pure Appa Saga, is, well, at the end of the previous episode, Appa is kidnapped by sandbenders. This is where we get our second niche form of bending, which is sandbending. Uh, in this, Appa's been taken, Aang flips the fuck out. My, my note for this is, Aang looks for Appa and is a dick about it. He blames Toph, and he gets extremely angry at everyone for not... You, you know, for not immediately wanting to go look for Appa when they're stuck in the middle of the desert now. So Aang, for like the first half of the episode, splits off from the group in order to look for Appa. And the rest of the group goes and tries to get out of the desert. Eventually, they end up finding the sandbender. Well, they, they end up finding a sand sailor. And they end up finding the sand bender even that kidnapped Appa. Aang freaks out, almost like threatens to kill the guy, finally gets the information that, you know, 
Appa's likely in Ba Sing Se by now. So their plan to just go to Ba Sing Se remains the same. Yeah, and then we enter the kind of overlapping bit where now it's also Ba Sing Se. Um, with the Secret of the Fire Nation. I don't know why it's called the Secret of the Fire Nation. Maybe it's the mechanical machine that they use. Maybe it's the fact that they're still trying to get the the weakness to the Earth King. I don't know. But my note for this double episode is that they try to take a boat, but they end up having to take the Serpent's Pass. That's pretty much it. So the, their initial plan is to take a ferry to Bossing Say, and they're able to eventually work out um, passage, you know, through tickets. But when a group of people that they came across and told them about the ferry is found out to have lost their passports and is no longer able to take the ferry, Aang and friends opt to take Serpent's Pass. And they're joined by Suki. Although she doesn't have much bearing on the episode, save for a, a weird side plot with Sokka where Sokka gets super overprotective of her. And he's like, you know, I, I just don't want to lose anyone else kind of thing. But it, it helps strengthen their relationship. And then Suki goes back to the ferry uh, to, to help there. Um, once they reach Ba Sing Se, they see that it is about to be attacked by the Fire Nation. They have this drill thing to attack the wall. So the second half of the episode is them, you know, trying their best to destroy this machine that is, again, being led by Azula and friends. Um, they eventually come up with a plan of, like, weakening it from the inside and then giving it one big blow from the outside to cripple the entire thing. Then they do that. And it goes well. And then from that point on, they're now in Ba Sing Se proper. Uh, the next episode is called City of Walls and Secrets. Immediately after they enter Ba Sing Se, they, they start noticing that things aren't quite right. They're given a, I guess, liaison who is supposed to keep an eye on them and be their, their guide to Ba Sing Se. Let's see, what did I put for this? It's Bossing Say, Search for Appa, and Creepy Judy. So, so yeah, their liaison is called Judy, and she she has, like, a weird thing about her. And when they go to look for Appa around the town, she accompanies them and is immediately, like, you know, putting a stop to their searches. You know, she's there behind them being like, no, no. And they end up finding out from from elsewhere that there is they're not allowed to talk about the war. As far as anyone's concerned, there is no war in Ba Sing Se. So no one in Ba Sing Se is actually aware that there is a war. Then the next episode's kind of a filler, but it's... Okay, so actually, the next two episodes, they, they have some interconnecting parts and help give... They're mostly to give more context, and in one specific um, segment, tribute. So the next episode is Tales of Ba Sing Se. It, this episode is an anthology episode that just kind of comprises of what everyone's doing while in Ba Sing Se. 
Uh, it starts with Katara and Toph, where they they Toph, according to Katara, is not being girly enough. So she wants to have a spa day, and they do. And in the end, Toph, you know, is like, hey, you know, it feels it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. But then, you know, some snobby girls come by and it's like, oh, you don't look pretty. So Toph and Katara end up fucking up their shit and sending them down river. Uh, but, you know, they end up bonding as Katara says, you know, you you really are pretty and whatnot. Don't listen to them, you know, for for what it's worth. Then the second one is the tale of Uncle Iroh. Which is probably the most emotional episode. It follows Iroh as he is gathering supplies for a picnic. It ends with him, you know, burning some incense and remembering his son. Because it in this short, it's his son's birthday and he is remembering him on his birthday. Uh, it also ends with a tribute to Mako who was the voice actor of Uncle Iroh for the first two seasons. I don't know if he was able to finish out the season before he passed, or if the replacement um, voice actor came in later. But, yeah. Then it, it moves on to a more light-hearted uh, short, with Aang, while checking out a zoo, I'm guessing potentially still searching for Appa, comes across the zookeeper who says, yeah, I really would like to, you know, expand the zoo, give them more room to actually do something and actually have the proper environments that they're supposed to, but we're broke and the Dai Li won't give us money to actually, you know, improve the zoo. So Aang decides to lead all the animals outside of the city and build a zoo, like a better zoo out there. And that's pretty much the short then the next short is uh, Sokka getting into a, a a haiku battle with a, a teacher. And he, it's pretty much just like, oh, he has a good haiku flow, and then he fucks it up and is kicked out of the haiku place. That's that. Yeah. Then after that, Zu it's just Zuko going on a date. She's w kind of willing to accept him and everything, but then he decides to like push away then uh the only one that properly like ties into like the following episodes really is momo goes on a hunt to try to find appa he like takes a bit of appa's hair and is like searching the city for appa and at the end of the short he finds a paw print that was Appa's, and, you know, suggesting that Appa was there. Then the next episode is literally all Appa's kidnapped journey, where we follow him from the time he's kidnapped to the footprint that Momo finds, and we see how his journey actually interconnected throughout the season with Aang and friends and other people, while... While they were on their way to Ba Sing Se. He was immediately given to Beetle Riders. And then from there he was sold to a zoo. Not a zoo, a, a circus. 
a Fire Nation circus, and I believe it's supposed to be the same circus that um, uh, Tai Lee was part of. He escapes the circus and then just pretty much starts traveling the world, trying to find Aang. Ends up going to the Eastern Temple. Well, he gets... He finds the Kyoshi Warriors after he's, you know, had a real shit one, got attacked by this weird, like... Uh, what are they called? Porcupine. Uh, it's like a porcupine boar. He gets attacked by that. He ends up defeating it and ends up staying in one place. Comes across the Kyoshi warriors who help clean him up, heal him, and get him freed. Then they get attacked by Azula because Azula is still tracking via Appa fur, it would seem. And But the Avatar is not there. Then Azula fights the Kyoshi warriors. The Kyoshi warriors send Appa away. Then Appa ends up at the Eastern Air Temple, and he meets a guru. The guru gives him a note for Aang, and then is able to sense their connection and tell him where Aang is. He goes to Ba Sing Se, in which he's then captured by the Dai Li. And then that's, that's Appa's kidnapping journey. Then episode 16, which is Lake Lao Gai, uh, this is where uh, Aang and the gang learns that there's a weird brainwashing thing going on and it's being done at Lake Lao Gai. Uh, they find this out because Jet, who's had who has had this side plot with Zuko uh, since the the refugee thing, where he's been trying to prove he tries to prove that uh, Zuko is Fire Nation and whatnot while him and his uncle are just trying to run a tea shop. And he ends up snapping and attacking. He gets arrested and brainwashed. And then he's implemented in, as part of a plot to try and get the Avatar and friends out of Ba Sing Se. Um, instead, they end up uncovering the fact that there's this weird brainwashing plot happening. And they're able to kind of get him to give them the directions. They go to Lake Lao Gai, start exploring the underground caverns, and while searching for Appa, instead they end up just fighting the Dai Li and everyone, while Zuko ends up finding Appa and comes to the decision that, well, after a confrontation from Uncle Iroh, to let Appa go free. And then, in the end, Op is able to then save Aang and friends from the Dai Li. Um, and then it's heavily implied that Jet dies. It's not ever confirmed, but this is literally the last we see of him, so it's heavily implied that he dies. But that does end the Appa saga. Now the last two are just the finale uh, and the rest of Ba Sing Se. So immediately after they escape the Lake Lao Gai thing, they go in the episode The Earth King to try and warn the Earth King about this plot and notify him that, hey, guess what? The Earth Kingdom's been at war for like the past 100 years uh, and you you somehow did not know about it. And they they go to try and you know give the warnings and everything. He it, it takes a while to actually properly convince the king that there is a plot. First they go to the Lake Laogai compound to find that it's been destroyed. So they're like, uh, 
that's not really evidence of anything. So then they, they're like, okay, the drill. They couldn't hide the drill. So they take him to the wall and show him the drill, at which point they're like, okay, yes. So there is a conspiracy. You've proven that he's lied. And then there's a conspiracy so that he's the head of the Dai Li is arrested. Then they start, you know, uncovering some stuff. And it turns out that uh, the Dai Li has been withholding stuff from from Aang and friends. There is a letter for Toph from her mother. There is a letter for Aang from the Guru that was on the horn of Appa. And then there was correspondence or uh, tactical information regarding uh, Katara and Sokka's father. And at this point, is is decided that they should separate. Aang needs to go to the Eastern Air Temple to meet with the Guru. Then um, Sokka is going to go with um, with Aang to meet up with his father. Katara is going to stay behind and help. Uh, battle plans Toph is going to go talk to her mom and that's where we end up with episode 18 in which we have another double episode it's the guru and the crossroads of destiny so the guru primarily focuses on Aang going to meet uh, with the guru and everyone on their own separate journeys Uh, as it also turns out that Azula was able to defeat the Kyoshi warriors and her and her two friends have donned the guise of the Kyoshi warriors and have infiltrated Ba Sing Se. But with, at the visit with the Guru, Aang learns that he needs to unlock, unblock his chakras in order to properly be able to enter and exit the Avatar state at will and to be able to uh, control it while in the state. He'll be fully aware while in the state. But he has to unlock the seven chakras first. They go through and subsequently unlock each chakra. While there's a, a B plot where um, the Kyoshi warriors are starting to infiltrate. Uh, Katara makes a bit of a silly choice to dawdle on her task. Her task is to, you know, keep... Stay abreast of the situation with the five ruling generals, the 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 generals that are loyal to the king and whatnot. Uh, and she's taking the report and the plans to be approved by the king, and she gets sidetracked and goes to get some tea, where she sees that the shop is being run by Zuko and his uncle. She freaks out and runs immediately to the palace, like she pretty much should have immediately, and ends up coming across the Kyoshi Warriors, or who she thinks is the Kyoshi Warriors. And then they reveal themselves to be not the Kyoshi Warriors. And she gets taken back with Aang while he's trying to unlock his chakras. His last chakra is to release his earthly connections, to be willing to let go. But he gets a vision that Katara is in trouble and immediately abandons it and leaves to go save her. Uh, that's where we then go into the next episode, Crossroads of Destiny, where he comes back, picks up Sokka immediately before he's actually going to go off to battle, and then they go back, get Toph, who has learned the third niche 
bending form, metal bending, uh, and is has become the first metal bender uh, after she was kidnapped while trying to meet up with her mom. It turns out it was a trap by the bounty hunters from earlier in the season. Um, she learns metal bending because it turns out, you know, metal is just a different form of earth, just refined. But they all journey back to Ba Sing Se to try to find out what happened. They go, talk to the king. The king's like, yeah, she should be fine. As far as I remember, she went off there and then she's uh, been hanging out with the Kyoshi warriors. And they're like, okay, so she might be back at the apartment. They go back to the apartment. Nope. They come across Uncle Iroh, who tells them, hey, you know, Azula's in the city, and she's taken Zuko. And they're like, oh, she pro- they, she also probably took Katara. Okay, so now we know now we know what we're doing. They go back, they have a fight. Sokka and Katara go to fights um, in the... No, scratch that. Sokka and Toph go to fight um, in the, the, the palace um, thing, in the, in the king's palace, while... Aang and Iroh go look for Katara and Zuko. And Aang gets to have a discussion with Iroh and asks him, like, hey, the the guru said that I needed to let go of, like, my worldly connections, but I didn't want to, like, give up the person I love. And Iroh's like, well, it was probably a smart idea to not, you know, give up love. You know, you just kind of have to find your own way. Aang... And him find uh, Zuko and Katara. And they're working their way through the crystal things. When Zuko is pretty much confronted by uh, Azula. And Azula pretty much says, hey, you know, join me and we'll be able to do this. And Zuko's pretty much like, okay. He turns his back on his uncle. Joins her in you know hunting down the Avatar. Uh, they have this big fight in in a cavern and uh katara and ang fight azula and zuko uh and they they're having a lot of trouble during the fight uh ang is seeing that the battle's not going terribly great and he needs to be able to enter the avatar state to try to you know take this down so he closes himself off from the battle says a quiet apology to katara and he kind of meditates to himself in order to try and, you know, cut off the uh, the earthly connection and be able to re-enter the Avatar state. Um, then, when he is entering the Avatar state and, like, kind of doing the thing, melding, uh, he's attacked and almost dies. And Katara rushes over gets him uh uncle iroh delays azula and zuko and after katara and ang leave he surrenders himself uh katara is able to heal ang but everyone including the earth king flee bossing say and bossing say has fallen and that is season two overall Season 2, pretty good. I do have some things that I don't like. I don't like Aang just 
immediately becoming a dick when he loses Appa. I do understand that it's like, it's his, it's supposed to be this lifelong connection. They've been together, you know, since he was extremely, extremely young and Appa was like a little baby. I get that. But he has like no situational awareness of the fact that, oh shit, we don't have Appa anymore. We now have to trudge through a desert and hopefully not die. Like, even when it's explained to him, he is throwing nothing but attitude. It's my least favorite part of the entire show is him. The, the, the moments where he just, like, turns on a dime against his friends. And it, it happens more than once. A lot of times. It's, it's kind of sad. But, overall... Overall, not a, not a bad season. It's it's definitely still a very good show. It has some very touching moments. Watching Appa's journey was sad. The whole thing with Uncle Iroh and his son is a very sad thing that every time punches you in the face. Like you you start feeling you know sad because he's mourning the loss of his son still. And then there's a punch in the face. Then you learn that, oh, the actor who voices Uncle Iroh is, is dead. And so you just feel extra sad. But, yeah, I mean, the animation's good. Uh, still, though, um, there was a thing that was annoying me. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's on Netflix or what. Or it's just that I focus on it way too much nowadays. Uh, sometimes... The words that people were saying wasn't exactly ma matching what uh, the mouths were doing. So it would throw me off every once in a while to be like, oh, they're, they're talking and then, but it, it's not quite synced. <laughs> but it, it, it's fine. But yeah, so it has some of my favorite bits like the Cave of Two Lovers. It, it's fun to see Azula just being straight up evil, like a, a good evil villain. And I did recognize that there was a lot of Star Wars-esque themes kind of weaving its way in and out of of Avatar. It was very funny to see. Because, for example, when Aang is, has, like, snapped and is going, like, full, full douchebag, it's very reminiscent of... Anakin's snap when his mom is killed by the Tusken Raiders. So it, it kind of parallels, except for Aang doesn't murder the Tusken Raiders, but boy howdy was he close. Uh, instead he ends up channeling his murderous rage towards some like giant wasp vulture things. Um, he straight up murders one that was attempting to take Momo. And even though it was leaving and he had Momo fine... Uh, he still fucking murders it. <laughs> um, then, of course, the entire season is very reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back. Where, like, with the chase, where they're constantly being pursued by this thing that's just not letting them rest. And then, where they are trying to... They, they try to go to a place and find out that it's been taken over by... Uh, in this case, the Fire Nation. Then, then they uh, end up on the complete back foot at the end of the season. 
so it has a lot of reminiscence of of Empire Strikes Back and Attack of the Clones, funnily enough. But yeah, that's just something I noticed while I was watching this. I was like, this feels very familiar. <laughs> but yeah, with that said, though, uh, of course, I do highly recommend it. It's uh, it's very good. It's a good show. It's a classic. I'm very excited for the Avatar stuff to come. I int. I intend to do season three, at the very least, by the time the next Avatar thing comes out. So, when the live-action Avatar comes out, I'll see about doing season three, and then I'll also see about doing... Like, I might make it an Avatar thing, where I'll do season three of the cartoon, then I'll do maybe the, the Shyamalan movie... And then I'll do the first season of the live-action Avatar The Last Airbender. And we can talk about it and discuss and, and see uh, see if it's gotten better. <laughs> Trying to adapt it into live-action. We'll see. Uh, same thing with Percy Jackson. Uh, which, I guess with that, let's kind of jump and boom, we're, we're now in the challenge section. Boom, look at that. Isn't that fun? Um, with the challenge, uh, things have been a little bit bumpy, uh, as you might remember. Um, we, well, let's talk about the Percy Jackson thing first. They've officially released a proper trailer for it and a release date, December 20th, I believe. Uh, so, so we'll be able to talk about the season. I, I will, I will, however, wait until the season is done to talk about it in full, um, or I could do it week to week. Uh, you you guys can let me know what you would prefer for that. If you want it week to week, or if you want me to just wait until it's done and then do a whole episode just on the first season and how it compares to the book and whatnot. We'll see. Anywho, the main bit of the challenge. So, as you guys might remember, we are very behind on the challenge. <laughs> Last uh, episode, I was still um, on outbound flight. And I told you my goal was on Monday, I was going to finish outbound flight. And then maybe on Wednesday, I would finish Son of the Star. And then hopefully by today, I would finish Throne of Fire. I will admit, that was very ambitious of me to, to try and say. I was able to successfully finish Outbound Flight on Monday. And I was able to finish Sun and the Star. It did take me until Friday, though, in order to do it. And I am currently reading Throne of Fire. So I at least started Throne of Fire in its week. I will try to finish it by... I'm going to be more realistic Tuesday or Wednesday. Ideally Tuesday... And then I will start Magnus Chase more secured in its week. And hopefully I will be able to finish Magnus Chase relatively fast and have it done by Sunday. And thus we will be caught up and everything will be balanced yet again. <laughs> but let us talk about these books, shall we? Let's start with 
Outbound Flight. The end of Outbound Flight. Outbound Flight, overall, I'm going to say, is pretty good. It, it has some issues where, like... So I did some research, and it turns out that Outbound Flight is a prequel book to Survivor's Quest. Survivor's Quest and Outbound Flight was Timothy Zahn wanting to do something similar to the structure of the overall Star Wars, like how the movies were released, in which the movies were done, the stuff in the Galactic Civil War era, and then the prequels during the Republic era, or what is now called the Fall of the Jedi. And he, he so he wanted to do something split like that. And so he did... Survivor's Quest, which is the Chiss have rediscovered a crash from the Republic era uh, and wants to return it to the now New Republic. And so Luke and Mara Jade go to retrieve Outbound Flight along with, I guess, some people in order to uh, get it. And they they discover what happened to this ship. Outbound Flight, as you might guess, is the story of Outbound Flight and what happened to it. Like, you, you follow it as it happens. So, if you watched... Or, sorry, if you read Survivor's Quest beforehand, which I haven't. I haven't read it at all. But I did look up to see kind of what what it was... But if, if you've if you read that first, then you know what's gonna happen to Outbound Flight. You know it's gonna just fucking go sh- pear shaped fast. And in fact, you'll know that one of the perspective characters doesn't fucking make it. <laughs> Overall, the, the the story following Thrawn and his decisions, you know, are very Thrawn, and it's fun. The best parts of the book are following Thrawn and everything. And seeing how he's, you know, 5D chest this shit. Um, and, yeah, overall, a good book. Now let us go on to the next book, The Son of the Star, a Nico D'Angelo adventure. Now, that is actually a little bit misleading. Because while Nico is technically the primary character and pers- primary perspective character of this book... Um, it does actually split perspective between Nico and Will, his boyfriend. Um, and overall, it's a really good book. Uh, this book was actually uh, Rick Rordan's, I think, first venture into co-authorization. In which he, according to... The interviews, because I, I did kind of keep an eye on like the interviews and whatnot, because I was trying to figure out where this was set and what was might happen in it. And this is actually the furthest book along in the timeline, and will be for a while at least. And it's basically just pretty much closure with the character of Nico to try and get him into a new, a new kind of personality of being more personable and more open and everything. But he co-wrote it with, I don't have the name with me right now, 
There we go. He co-wrote it with Mark Oshihiro, who I feel really helps give this book the depth it needed and the sensitivity it needed, as well as a whole new level of personality. Uh, because uh, Mark is actually part of the LGBTQ community and is able to actually kind of provide a lot of the context and struggle that comes with being part of that community. You know, it's someone with actual lived experience compared to Rick Rorden, who's like a, I think he's like 46 year old uh, cis straight white guy who, who, while he might be able to sympathize, he can't fully relate. So th there's, you know, actual experience there and it, it works so well. Uh, the, so the supposed writing process is that Rick Rorden wrote kind of the basic outline, like the kind of initial draft, then sent it over to Mark and they did a second draft and then they just kind of passed it back and forth until according to Rick, he doesn't know who wrote what anymore, <laughs> which is a good thing though. I feel that a lot of people will be able to tell Mark's contributions to, to the, um, work. And I do want to potentially read more of their work just to try to see what their specific voice is in writing. Because I think it could be really good. Um, now, the book's overall structure is split in a bit of a weird way. There's no proper pattern to things or anything. Though I do think that there is a clever way that they show who, at the very least, the starting perspective of the chapter is. The chapters are labeled with the chapter number in a like little sun blot thing. If it is completely dark, the starting perspective is Nico. If it has like a little core of uh, brightness to it, then the starting perspective is Will. Though, uh, further along in the chapter, it might switch perspectives. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes it does. Um, the first half or over half of the book has this framing structure where we follow Nico and Will further along in their adventure as they are giving a, a water nymph their stories to, to, you know, just in order to trade the stories for a boat to get into Tartarus. When I found out that Will got beat the fuck up before they even entered Tartarus, which is like the core selling point of the book, I burst out laughing because I was like, oh my god, he's having such a shit one. Wow. I feel so sorry for him. Then I learned how he got beat the fuck up, and I just, I, I, I was like, really? Because all he did, because, so in, in the book, like, literally in the book, in the cover of the book, it has this kind of map showing Will and Nico's journey through 
the Underworld, and Tartarus. The entire fucking thing. So you can literally like follow it along. And one of the things, before they get to telling the stories, is a fight with a Dracon. Which is like a big dragon thing, but kind of more serpenty. And... You know, you so when you start reading it and you see that oh, you know, Will's having a shit one while telling the stories. Oh, it, it must be the Draken fight. Technically, it happens during the Draken fight, but it's just that he fucking trips and falls down a hill. He he just trips, falls down a hill, gets some cuts and scrapes. He somehow has like this big fucking gash in his stomach, supposedly. Um, Nico bandages him up, and you know. It's just Will's falling apart because he's in the underworld, essentially. And is just having a terrible one. But the framing device is what would have ended up being a fairly long-ish section near the middle of the book, spread out throughout the first half of the book, where we are being recounted with Nico and Will's uh, relationship origin, where, you know, how they met... um, how they actually, you know, fell in love and started dating each other. Uh, how Nico came out accidentally to the entire fucking camp. We did not mean to. Um, and so on and so forth. Their first date and everything. It It's cute. And it, it helps provide the proper context to their relationship that we didn't really get between... Um, the Heroes of Olympus books and the Trials of Apollo books where, you know, we we blink and they're dating now. So, you know, there was no no context to the relationship. Now we have that proper context. And we actually get to see how they are as a couple going through probably one of the most trying tasks that they could, which is going through the underworld and Tartarus. Um, so... My my initial thought about who they were going to retrieve in this book was that they were going to retrieve Jason. They aren't. They are going to retrieve Bob, who was abandoned, um, not, you know, intentionally, by Percy and Annabeth in Tartarus. And so Bob's been calling up to Nico to, to free him, and... Nico is finally going to do that. Months later, months after he heard Bob calling, uh, he he finally is like, fine, and goes to the underworld to get him. Part part of his setup for it, though, was in the Trials of Apollo books, the the Troglodytes. Uh, That was his setup for getting into Tartarus, was, was communicating with the Troglodytes. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil the story too, too much more than I already have. I will say that it, this, this book does kind of make the Tartarus feel different than its, its description in House of Hades, but at the same time, still the same. Um, yeah. I will say it's good. There's some issues throughout it here and there, but overall, I like it. It's good. It gives you a good understanding of 
what Nico's been going through properly. Um, and is a good, honest discussion about post-traumatic stress, general trauma, as well as, um, you know, how relationships can be strained due to past trauma. Um, I will say also that in the end of the book, the overall message kind of gets... It's not subtle, I'll say. It's not a subtle message presented at the end of the book. Um, pretty much throughout like the last four or five chapters is just... It's just like, here's the message. Here you go. Take it. Take the message. And roll with it. <laughs> but yes, it, it's very good. It's a good, honest discussion with some silly shenanigans here and there. Um, and I do highly re recommend it. It also, again, got me thinking about whether or not there's going to be any kind of adaptation for this down the line. And the answer is probably not. It's probably not going to get ad adapted. They're probably going to, if we're lucky, get through just the the um, Percy Jackson and the Olympians series. If we're lucky. Um, now, finally, Throne of Fire. I've literally just started it. But so far, it is a little bit better, as it seems that they are dropping Sadie's accent. And to that, I say, good. <laughs> it was probably one of, if not the most annoying part of that book was Sadie's accent. It's still a bit there, but it's much more manageable. Other than that, I can't really talk much about the story, because I haven't gotten that deep into it. I'm like most of the way through the first chapter. But after I'm done editing and uploading this, I'll probably see about reading a lot more. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, it's a bit, it was a bit of a silly task to try and, huh, try and watch an entire season of a show and catch up on three books at the same time. If, if I wasn't catching up on the books... I probably would have watched the show a bit faster. If I wasn't watching the show, I probably would have caught up on the books, you know, good and proper. But, yeah, it's it's been a journey. <laughs> but with that said, um, yeah, that, that's, that's that. Uh, as for things that I'm doing... Ah, oh, shit. I just realized I didn't put a Lego Pirates of the Caribbean episode out this week. Damn. So I'm, I'm going to have to, this past week, so sorry about that. I wasn't paying attention close enough. I was, like I said, I I watched an entire season of a show and tried to catch up on three books. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'll try to fix that and get some episodes made and put out soon. I'm also streaming Spider-Man. I was supposed to stream it today, but I needed to get Avatar caught up. So, again, sorry about that. But I will probably do maybe an extra stream sometime this week. And it will be Spider-Man. And then I'll see about on Sunday again doing another Spider-Man. It's going to be some spider-heavy stuff while I'm trying to catch up and get ready for um, the new Spider-Man game. 
I mean, I've already played both of the games, but, you know, I, I kind of want to stream the new one, maybe. So it would be nice to have the stuff there. Even if I end up playing it on my own first, I want to have the other ones up and available for people to watch. That kind of thing. But, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a while before I do Season 3. Because uh, the, the live action... The new live-action Avatar doesn't come out until next year, so I don't need to necessarily worry about that. Uh, and I don't know what I'm doing next week. It's going to be a surprise for both of us, probably. <laughs> Anywho, with that said, though, thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys liked this, uh, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube, or follow it on whatever audio uh, podcast catcher you use, and feel free to rate and review it there. Share it with your friends if you enjoyed this. But with that said, though, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys later. Bye.